This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. To our guests, hello, my name is Paul. I'm a pastor and teacher here at House on the Rock. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning. Take out the notes that are inside of that little wad of paper that you received when you walked in. They'll be helpful maybe to write some things down, uh, shopping lists for Walmart, etc., etc. Four months ago, I received an email, not myself personally, but pastors in the whole area of Piqua and surrounding. It was an invitation to get together to talk about and confront the crisis surrounding a cold shelter downtown for homeless men. All it really is is a facility operated outside of, out of the Bethany Center so that men during the cold winter months, homeless men can come in, have a place to sleep before they have to go back out into the cold again. Nothing more, nothing beyond that. But it's, situa- it's a situation that would certainly prayerfully and hopefully touch the hearts of spiritual leaders within the area. And I had to be honest because I had no idea what this pastor was talking about. Like, I don't know what he's talking about but I should probably find out what's going on. And so we responded to the emails. I'd love to get together and talk and, and learn more. I needed to learn more about whatever this was. Just kind of how I think, how I process, how I operate. So I got together with the pastor who I did not know, a church I was not familiar with, as he talked to me about a crisis I didn't know existed. Just didn't know. And he unpacked how this situation had been a part of Pickwa's history for quite some time and how various churches at various times had tried to confront this challenge. Civil groups had tried to confront this challenge and deal with it and handle it. And I was beside myself because I had no idea what he was talking about. And then he would say, he would say well, you know, it's kind of like this house. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, it's kind of like this ministry. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I said, well, what other pastors have you been working with? No one else has gotten back to me. He gave me some follow-up information, some phone numbers. I got back in my warm car with my warm, warm coat on. I went back to my warm office, and I forgot about it. Because I have other important things to do. You know, that's what I do. I did have a conversation with the Hope team about, you know, is there something here that we should look into and that I would look into it, but, you know, important things came up. (laughs) Two months ago, I'm sitting in a staff meeting out there in front of all the windows. It's a Tuesday morning. We're gathered around. People are sharing updates, reports, and Sonia looks over her shoulder. Hey, there's a guy underneath our porch. He's standing there talking to someone. This is not rare. This is not unique. It happens quite often. People will walk through, whether they live in the area or just passing through, but oftentimes they'll kind of sit on the benches out here underneath our porch just to kind of catch their breath. That's perfectly fine. Love it. It's great. It should happen all the time. 20 minutes later, she looks over and he's still there. And I'm like, hmm, well, I'll go introduce myself. I'll bring him a bottle of water. This is just our common practice, our habit. I'll see if he needs anything. It looks like he's talking to someone, but he's not talking to anyone. 
So I go out and I say, hey, here's the bottle of water. He was very happy to receive the bottle of water. Do you need anything? Are you waiting for anyone? It was difficult for me to understand him. I caught maybe every other word. Hey, if you need to, we have restrooms on the inside or if you just want to come in, because it was not a comfortable day outside. He had a coat on, but it didn't look like it was enough. He had pants on, but they had well passed their prime 20 years ago. And then I went back in. If he wants to come in, he knows that he's more than welcome. I'm not going to force a situation upon him. But I want him to know that he's in a hospitable place where he is welcome. And I go back into my office and I start going through my Tuesday list of things that I do on Tuesdays because I'm that type of person. I do Tuesday stuff on Tuesday, okay? All of a sudden, I hear Vanessa and Sonia talking to someone who very might well be that man. So I come out, and he is sitting out in one of the chairs, and Vanessa's trying to get some information, welcome him. Sonia's trying to get some information. How can we help? How can we serve? I walk over, and Vanessa says, yeah, I think this is his name. I'm like, you think this is his name? She says, well, he doesn't know what his name is, but he thinks it's this because a guy's letting him borrow that name. He's just not supposed to use it in a bad way so he doesn't get arrested. I'm like, what? He says he doesn't know what his name is, but a guy said that he could use this name as long as he doesn't use it in a bad way. What? I need to go find out more. I need to go learn more. So I walk over and I introduce myself again and thank him and call him by the name that was given to Vanessa that's not his name, but it's the name that he's using. And wanting to be helpful what do you need? I need documents. What kind of documents? Well, I don't have a social security card. I don't have a birth certificate, driver's license, any of those things. Which, in your world, in my world, make everything easier. And if you don't have those things, it makes the United States hell on earth. Right? It just it simply does. Well, this is new for me. I... I don't know how to procure those documents when you don't have those documents. I don't know what to do if you don't know what your name is or what your social security number is or birth certificate. I don't know any of those things, but I do know that there's a whole plethora of organizations and systems and networks that are designed to help this man's needs. So I do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. I get on the horn. I start making phone calls. Vanessa starts making phone calls. Sonia starts making phone calls. Vanessa runs over, goes to Burger King, gets the guy some food. The boy clearly needs to eat. Clearly needs to eat, okay? And I start making phone calls. This is what I bump into for the next three hours. This is what Vanessa bumps into. This is what Sonia bumps into. Wow, that's, that's interesting. We don't know what to do. Hey, I have this gentleman and he would like to, I don't know where to go or what to call. Um, wow, that's interesting. I'm going to have to get a hold of my supervisor. Why don't you call us back after a little while and I'll see what I can come up with. Okay. I mean, I'm in this for the long haul. We're going we're gonna to figure this out, right? Right? I call out my good buddy, now deputy retired police chief down at the police department, Tom Steiner. I'm like, hey, Tom, um, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. He's like, well, is it this guy? I'm like, I don't know if it's that guy, but that's not the name he gave me. He gave me some other name. Well, it might be this guy. I'm like, ah, but that's okay. But I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I feel like me just handing him off to the police is not the answer. I would feel like 
I'm supposed to be able to do something in this place because I'm the church. You know? Like me passing him off to a police officer, not that they don't have resources and means, but but me passing him off and not doing anything, struggling with that. Tom said, well, we have a liaison that works with homeless men in the community. Sean will come up and we'll see if we can't move this story forward and be helpful. I'm like, Tom, that'd be great. Thank you so much for doing that. Officer Sean came over, great guy, loves the Lord, um, worked real well with this gentleman, just you know, establishing rapport, very kind, very gentle. I sat with them as they had a conversation and tried to help figure out what these next steps were for this gentleman who had sat underneath my porch. We gave him a whopper. Eventually, the decision was made between the two of them that Sean would help him get downtown and get him to the next place that he needed to be, whatever that might have been. And I haven't seen the man since. And knowing the conversation that I had had with the pastor a couple months before, I walked in and I looked Vanessa in the eyes and I looked at my executive and says, should I have done more? Not that I do enough. The question is, should I have done more? I genuinely didn't know. I did follow up with a couple organizations and networks that afternoon, but one of them did say this, hey, we really don't know how to help. Just make sure you don't bring him to us. We're not designed for that kind of thing. And I hung up the phone because apparently we're not either. I needed to learn more. Did I need to do more? About a a month later, another gentleman came to our door. Looking around, sometimes he'll be looking for bathrooms, sometimes he'll be looking for resources, and Vanessa met him and tried to resource him with what supplies that we had here. The problem was nothing that we had from a food or supply perspective was useful because it was too heavy and too bulky. It wasn't any good to him. It was not helpful for him. He was a man who was trying to get up north uh, to the campground at Fort Laramie so he could take a shower so that he can get on his way to Indiana where he knew that there was an open shelter where maybe he could find a bed. I was out of the office at the time and it was everything I could do to keep Vanessa from driving him up there. Should I have done more? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Do I need to do more? I don't know. And at the same time, there are voices. You guys know how, do you guys have an inner monologue? I have an inner monologue. I have like a whole, there's like 10 or 12 monologues going on at the same time in my head. Do you guys have any of these? Like there's a constant conversation that happens inside of your head. Well, yeah, this is fun. I'm never alone, Okay. I'm never alone. I always have someone to talk to. That's why I always seem annoyed. (laughs) Like, hold on a second. I'm not done talking with this. The people coming up to me, Pastor Paul, you need to make sure that you stay safe. Pastor Paul, you need to make sure that the staff is safe. I always struggle with the word safe because there's nothing that I ever saw Jesus do that seemed safe to me. 
I'm not saying that safe isn't a thing. I'm just saying I don't know what to do with the word safe. And I'm thankful for those who share that word with me. I just I don't know where to put it as I deal with this question. What is safe? And then there's this other voices that, that I'm competing with. Voices that, that take this thing called justice. But they seem to be presenting it in a way that doesn't seem biblical to me. It seems to have become some weaponized thing that doesn't create unity and peace, but it seems to be leveraged as something that divides. It's been weaponized. It's been politicized. It's a racial thing. And I'm not a big believer in race. And so, while I'm struggling with what the pastor told me, and I'm struggling with what culture tells me, and I struggle uh, uh, with what I see in Scripture, and I, and I struggle with my own inner monologue, I'm like, God, what do I do with this thing that's called justice? When that man left our house, In God's eyes, had we done what was just? For here, O oh man of God, what the Lord requires of you, that you do justice. And so I did what I always do when I have a question. I opened my Bible, and I brood a lot. I sit and I brood. I stare at the wall. I sit my tea, and I read the book. And I blow my book budget on more books. And I hint at other people so they'll buy me books. Because there's this thing that I don't know, and there's thing that I don't understand, but there seems to be something in the providence of God that he, by the Spirit, has come to me and said, here, here, And so I started reading. I'm like, you know what? I should probably preach a message on that because that's what I do. Let me preach a message on justice. There's this cute passage in, you know, Sermon on the Mount. I'm a big fan of the Sermon on the Mount. Love the Sermon on the Mount. Think you should read the Sermon on the Mount on a daily basis. It talks about justice stuff and taking care of the poor. I'll preach a sermon on it. We'll be good. I'll go on. And so I pitch and hold, put it in the docket. It's ready to go. But then I keep reading. I'm like, well... There's a message. I should probably talk about that too. So I take that passage and I stick it over there. I'm like, actually, those messages should probably go the other way. I should probably do that one first. Then one message becomes two messages and two messages became four messages and four messages became eight messages and I still haven't stopped yet. I'm up to 10. Because what has astounded me, much to my embarrassment and our chagrin and our frailty, is that this book... could be described with one word. Justice. This is about justice. 
So maybe you guys could help me this morning. Would you be helpful, please? Some Christians aren't helpful, but you guys are helpful. You guys are helpful. Would you help me as I work something out this morning? And maybe for a few weeks to come. What is more? What is justice? And because I'm a follower of Christ, I think from a communication perspective, the first place that I should start as a spiritual leader is by talking about it the way Jesus talks about it. And believe it or not, the first time Jesus speaks, guess what he talks about? Justice. So why don't we look at Luke chapter 4. Would you join me there, please? My challenge, and this is what I told Doug, is I've got about 10 weeks worth of messages in my head right now. And I want to tell them all to you this morning. My commitment is just to cover the introduction. Okay? And to save some other things for later. So I'm not going to say everything that I want to say. I'm probably going to say more than I should say. So please be patient with me this morning. Luke chapter 4 is a passage, verse 17, 18, and 19, that I have preached here before. It's a passage that is quite significant in that it is Jesus' opening platform. We're in a season where presidential candidates are putting forth their platform and they're saying, hey, vote for me. Hey, make me the leader of the free world. Hey, make me the most powerful man in the land. This is what I stand on. This is my platform. And so you'll hear advertisements and you'll see social media initiatives and you'll see all these programming so that you understand where this person is coming from. That is exactly what Jesus is doing when he steps up in this synagogue in Capernaum and opens his words. The prophet Isaiah, the scroll is given to him. Jesus finds a place to read, and this is what he says. This is how he begins his formal ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he gives the scroll back. He looks at them and says, these words are now fulfilled in your hearing. They're amazed. They're in awe. Here's the problem. Are you ready for the problem? Everybody, when they hear this passage, every follower of Jesus Christ, when they hear this passage, fall into one of two camps instantly. Some of you, when you hear this passage, you fall into the category of the skinny jeans preachers. Okay? Skinny jeans, preachers. You love to beat the drum of social justice. Awesome. Some of you, some of us, fall into the category of the pleated pants pastors. Okay? The pleated pants pastors, and they have their interpretation of the passage. And to both, I'm really confused, because to both sides, I think there's more. Please note, I don't have one either. Thank you, because I'm that guy. Okay? 
to the skinny jeans preachers who love to hear and advocate and act upon for help the poor, help those who need to heal. We need to get everyone medicine and we are going to picket and we are going to wave flags and we are going to camp out and we are going to protest because we need to help the poor and we need to feed the hungry and we need to socialize medicine and on and on and on. I'm like, and those are good things, good things, helping the poor. Big fan, big fan. Yes, let's help the poor. I'm like, but aren't they sinners too? Don't they need, like, a salvific level of Jesus? Like, Easter and the cross? I mean, can you talk about justice without talking about Jesus? Isn't there more? But then on the other side, I have the pleated pants pastors. And what they will tell me, and I'm being honest because I've preached the passage this way, to bring good news, gospel the poor. What that means is they're spiritually poor. They're captivated to their own depravity and sin. They're oppressed by the fires of hell. And I've preached that. I've preached that. I've preached that. Absolutely. With pleated pants on. I have fancy, fancy, very expensive degrees and certificates from schools that tell me I'm allowed to do that. But my question is, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say that. That's true. But can you talk about Jesus if you're not going to talk about justice? Because he says, I have come to bring good news to the poor. And I've met some poor people And you know what they wanted? They wanted lunch. They wanted a home. So I'm not saying this isn't true. I'm just saying, isn't there more? Isn't there more? Can you have Jesus but not talk about justice? Can you talk about Jesus, justice, and can you leave Jesus out of the conversation? Because Jesus, it seems, I don't know, he's talking about justice. And so, in deep respect to my pleated pants pastors and my skinny jeans preachers, I said, maybe I should study this passage a little bit more. See who's right. Right? Let's see who's right. 
to do that, we kind of need to unpack where this passage is at, right? So let's go to Isaiah 61. That's where this passage comes from, okay? That's where this passage comes from. Isaiah 61, the, the, he received the scroll of Isaiah, and what he goes to, whether or not it was a liturgical passage for the day that he was told to preach on, whether it was the Son of God's own volition that went to this passage intentionally, this is what it was. So Isaiah 61. Help me figure out what's going on here. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit, okay, third part of the Trinity, of the Lord God, Father, first part of the Trinity, Jesus was speaking it. The Lord has appointed me, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the covenant name for God. That's like when God's dropping the hammer, okay? Mic drop, that's when he uses this name, okay? God's all in. He has anointed me to do what? Bring good news to the poor. Hey, that's what he just said. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Well, nah, that one wasn't there. To proclaim liberty to the captives. I read that. Open the prison for those who are bound. Didn't see that. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hey, that's in there. Okay, so which one is it? Is it, is it, are we talking about our spiritual depravity and our need for forgiveness of sin? Are we talking about social justice issues and helping the hungry and the poor? Which one is it? Because it's a little ambiguous. It's like it could go either way. And why is it, Jesus, when you read from this passage, you didn't read it exactly right? It's, it's not a word for word. In fact, there's phrase, Jesus, you said this thing about setting the oppressed free and liberty. It's not in there. And anytime there's something that feels like it's out of place, is basically the Bible's invitation of saying, come here. <laughs> Let me show you something. What you find out is that setting the oppressed free that comes from another passage. Jesus hyperlinks two passages together in this sermon. And it's from an earlier chapter. It's from uh, chapter 58. So you take Isaiah, you're in 61. If you go back to 58, you'll see what Jesus did. This is verses 6 and 7. I'm just trying to figure it out. Thank you for being patient. Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. All right, so I've got this thing about Jesus and justice, and I'm not quite sure how I'm supposed to feel about it. Isn't there more? And then, so Jesus, now he grabs something from Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. And this is what he says. This is what it says. Is not this the fast that I choose from? Fast. And this is, has to do with my vertical relationship with God. Fasting. Fasting. You talk about a deep expression of devotion, right? You know what you should do? You should fast. All right. So I'm leaning this way now. All right, I think we're talking about, okay, okay. I know what's going to happen next. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. To break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, 
to bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see him naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So here, I need to take seriously my love for God. Here, we need to take seriously our love one for another. And then Jesus says, do you love me? You'll take care of one another. The crazy thing is, and if you've been reading with me through scripture, we've been reading through it this year, you're in the beginning of Isaiah. And if you're paying attention, you got to chapter one. And guess what he starts talking about? God, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks to the spiritual and the religious and the pastors and the deacons and the ministry leaders. And you know what he says to them? Your church services make me want to throw up in my mouth. You guys start to sing how great thou art. One more time, I'm going to scream. I'm tired of your Sunday school classes. I'm sick and tired of everything that you do. You want to bring a smile to my face? Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. How do you do that? Seek justice. He, he goes on to say, he says, hey, I even, I created you as a people in the middle of brokenness to usher in justice and righteousness. That's why you're there. That's what you exist for. And you've ceased to do that. You've stopped doing that. And so I will now leverage the whole weight of the pagan empires to come down on you until you wake up to the fact that what you are to do my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is to seek justice and to do righteousness. As the prologue of Isaiah kind of comes to a close in chapter 5, he kind of tells a little bit of a parable about a man who wanted to have a vineyard. I'd like to have a vineyard. I think that would be cool. Someplace in the Southern area, Mediterranean area, France. That'd be pretty neat. I'd like that. And so he plants a vineyard and he puts up nice stone walls around it and watchtowers and fertilizes it and feeds it and invests in it, makes it a priority, wants this vineyard to grow, wants there to be fruit that comes out of this vineyard. And all of a sudden he's so excited because the fruit's coming out of the vineyard and he goes to it and it's rancid and it's wild and it's unharvestable. I looked to find the grapes. He said they were wild. And then a few verses later, 
so that we understand the parable. It says, God looked to Israel, and I looked for justice, and there was none. I looked for righteousness, and there was none. So I'm working through this passage in Isaiah. I'm working through these passages in Luke. And it gets to the very end of Luke chapter 4 in that little sermon. You go back to it. And there's this odd line that I needed to figure out because proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm like, well, what's that all about? I need to figure this one out. And I'm sure you probably know, right? You know. But I'm sure your neighbor next to you doesn't know. So if you could be a little patient, I'm going to explain it to your neighbor what this is all about. Okay, you good? Because I know you know what it is, right? You know. You know what it is. Oh, yeah, I know what it is. You're the Lord's favor. Every seven years in the life cycle of Israel, they were to let the land rest. Okay? It was a sabbatical year. This is an agrarian culture. You're not going to plant. You're not going to till. You're not going to work the land. Let it rest for crying out loud. Just learn that I will take care of you. You go out there, there'll be plenty of you to glean from whatever was left over from last year. Trust me, I got you. You'll be fine. You're going to do this for seven cycles, 49 years. Then on the 50th year, we're going to do an entire national restoration. Because in the course of life, you know what happens? Bad stuff. Bad things happen. We don't have a good harvest year, so we need to borrow. We have another bad harvest year, so we need to borrow a little bit more. And maybe we can't make up the difference, and so we fall into debt, and we fall into economic hardship. And so some cases, we have to sell off a kid in slavery, or sell off our own kid, or sell off our land. And we are no longer looking like the promised land that God ushered us to be and called us to be. We're something else. Where people are oppressed and people are impoverished and the land is wasted. So you know what we're going to do? Every 50th year, which means in the living memory of every single person, we're going to restore it back to the way God intended it to be. Which means yesterday you were a slave, but today you're free. Yesterday you were in debt. Today it's forgiven. Yesterday you were in chains. Today those chains are broken. And some feel the reason that Jesus was speaking on this passage in the Levitical, in the, in the liturgical rhythm of the church was that that year was a jubilee year for Israel, but they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, the new king walks in and says, hey, we're putting this back to normal. I'm here to set the captives free. Well, everyone's ecstatic. They've heard about what he's been doing around the other image. He's healing people. He's feeding people. Like, hand over fist, this guy's the man. They're like, hey, this guy's going to get us out of the thumb of Rome. 
And you read, you read Luke's account, and it's all about the ministry of Jesus through the life of the poor. The whole first four chapters, all the main characters are poor people. I mean, we miss that because we're all about Christmas and trees and Santa. But the whole, the whole first four chapters of Luke's gospel are about poor people. Poor pastor, poor pastor's wife, poor 14-year-old girl who lives in a poor town outside of the Roman Empire in any sense of influence. And God comes to them, and she specifically says, this little girl named Mary, hey, this son that I'm about to give, he's going to set everything right. And everyone who's poor is going to get lifted up, and everyone who oppresses, he's going to push down. And Jesus steps onto the scene, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. He's feeding 5,000 people. You know why he's feeding 5,000 people? Because they forgot their igloo and their yetis at the house? Why is he feeding 5,000 people? Because they need food. They're starving. And you know what the disciples wanted to do? Hey, uh, there's a McDonald's up the road. Why don't you send them back there and they can go get a burger? And Jesus is like, no, you feed them. You get to Luke chapter 10 and you have the story of the Good Samaritan and that messes everything up. Because now he's offending everybody hand over fist. I mean, people were getting offended in Luke chapter 4, the religious people, because all of a sudden Jesus was starting to expand his ministry beyond the borders of their comfort. Because they were all about being God's chosen, restored, blessed, special people. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts to expand this ministry of God to the poor, meaning everybody. And no one likes that. And so they want to literally take him out of town and throw him over the 50-foot cliff that's on the skirts of Nazareth. How dare you suggest that God wants to help anybody except us? prophet Isaiah is all about condemning the religious and the spiritual because they've forsaken the poor and the homeless. God seems to give preference to the poor. And so a religious man walks up to him. Hey, how do I enter into God's promise of life eternal? That's a good question. That's an excellent question. It's a phenomenal question. How do you do that? Well, Jesus, being a good teacher, says, well, what do you think the answer is? <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> what do you think the answer is? Oh, I think you're supposed to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Jesus, thumbs up. And you should love everybody else. You should love your neighbor. She's like, yep. You do that, you'll be good to go. Love God, love your neighbor. I've said that a few times. I know, I got your podcast, he says. On his way walking away, the scribe looks back over his shoulder and says, uh, I have a question. Who's my neighbor? Now, it says in the passage that he was trying to justify himself. You read that to mean he was trying to build himself up. Like, I want to look like Adam Mac Daddy. No, that's not how you should understand it. He genuinely wants to know. I want to walk justly and rightly before God. I want to be just before God. So, who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to take care of? I want to love God, and I, wanna, I need to love others. So, who, how do I do this in a just way? 
And Jesus says, I'm glad that you asked. Hold my Yeti. Let me tell you a story. A man left church. He was heading home to Bradford. That's my version, okay? It says from Jerusalem to Jericho. But that's another way of saying that he, he was worshiping at the temple. He was doing something in the temple and he's on his way home, okay? So, for the sake of our story, he left church and he's on his way to Bradford. He's on his way to Troy. I don't know where you live, but that's where you're going. On his way home, he is overcome by thieves, robbers. Beat him, rob him, leave him for dead. Because sometimes bad things happen, right? Is it his fault? Well, he shouldn't have been walking there in the first place. I'm like, watch your heart. After church, the pastor, on his way home, saw this man and went to the other side of the road and passed on by. Well, that has to hurt a little bit. Then a deacon from the church or a life group leader or a ministry leader or any person of impact influence that you think out of that church. He came upon the guy and he passed by on the other side of the road. And then, Jesus says, a Samaritan. Here's our problem. What do you think when you hear the word Samaritan? Christmas boxes and ministries and fun things for Billy Graham's son and helping the little kids. It's all about good stuff. We hear Samaritan, we hear good things, right? Samaritan, I want to be a Samaritan. No one in this story wants to be a Samaritan. So what you need to do is you need to insert whoever it is that pushed your buttons the most and stick that there in the story. Because there was no one as opposite, as despised, as hated, and as rejected in the ideology of a Jewish scribe than the presence of a Samaritan. So I don't know who that means for you. I have a running list in my mind. I'll make some suggestions. Okay? I'll make some suggestions. If you cheer for Ohio State, they're from Michigan. I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. If you're a Republican, this guy's a Democrat. If you vote liberal, he's a conservative. If you believe in a historical, traditional view of marriage, this one's all about LGBTQ, you name it. They've got the bumper sticker on the back of their seat, the T-shirt on their body, the flag hanging from their front porch, and they were at a rally this weekend. Whoever that person is, the other is for you. The Samaritan is that. Okay, we good? And the Samaritan came upon this man from your church. Bandaged his wounds. Poured oil, healing on his scrapes. Gave him wine to restore his strength. Put him in his own car. 
drove him to a local hotel, paid for the room himself, and then went to the innkeeper and says, hey, I can't stay. I've got to get to a meeting. But here's, a, here's enough money that should cover for the next few days. Will you please take care of him until I get back? And then Jesus says to him, which one was the neighbor? And the scribe, and maybe you would have been the same way, can't even say it out loud. The one who showed him mercy, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I don't know what the mandate that God is laying upon our church family is. But I think it's more. Whatever our posture is towards the poor, I think it's more. Whatever our posture is towards the homeless, I think it needs to be more. Whatever our posture is towards the other, the forsaken, the oppressed, the outcast, I think if I'm reading it correctly, it's at least more than what I'm doing now. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.